Yo ho ho! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that Kira Knightley doesn't want you to hear. And Michael Flatley would be pretty upset too. <laughs> it's Monkeys and Playbills. I'm Paul DeGurse. I'm Jillian Willems. Welcome to the show where we discuss Broadway musicals that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway. And what the heck happened? What are we talking about today, Jill? We're going to talk about fan favorite, just kidding, I don't think anyone's ever heard of it, The Pirate Queen. I'd say possibly fan favorite. It's got a, it's got a lineage. And once again, I think this has got to be someone's favorite musical. It might be mine. Much like a queen, it has noble ancestry. From the composing team, the powerhouse composing team, who've written two of the most successful musicals of all time, Les Miserables and Miss Saigon. Ooh. And also Martin Gare, which we may talk about later on on this podcast That's at some right. point. Let's dive in. Let's talk. Previews began at the Hilton Theatre March 6th, 2007. It opened on April 5th, 2007 and closed on June 17th, 2007 after 32 previews and 85 performances. It's pretty brutal for a show like this from composers who are playing at this level. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, of, a lot of artistry, a lot of beautiful stuff yeah. in this musical. I'm really fascinated to get into this one. This is not a cut and dry case. Certainly not. Should um, we uh, play the synopsis game? Oh, Okay. <laughs> it's very funny that this podcast has evolved into me being the one who has to synopsize yeah. these. Because I'm famously, anyone who goes to shows with me knows, I, in general, I have a hard time just keeping track of what's going on. I get distracted by sets and lights and music and costumes, and I'm just as much about the experience and what I'm feeling yeah. as what's going on with the plot. So with this one especially, it's a, there's a lot of plot. It's very plot heavy. About halfway through Act 2, I was, doing a, I was trying really carefully, and my watching partners were trying to make sure that I was keeping track. Yeah. And about halfway through Act 2, I started to get lost, and I had meant to go back and review, but I didn't. I kind of love that, though. So... Like, this is what makes it fun for me. <laughs> so what you just heard was my instant realization that... Like, oh no, I have like, to synopsize. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's synopsize the Pirate Queen. Top of the show. We've got Recorder. We've got a dark stage. We've got a couple, right? There's um, mm-hmm. two people, and they are, they're clearly in love. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, boom, an enormous overture kicks in, and there's a pirate ship. And um, Stephanie J. Block is the daughter of a pirate captain. Mm-hmm. She wants to be a pirate as well. She doesn't, she's not comfortable staying at home in Ireland. Yes. It's very important. There are, these are Irish pirates. Yeah. That's very significant to this show um, for a couple of reasons. It's significant, A, because it's a show about actual historical events Correct. about the Irish resistance against England's uh, colonization. Yes. And it also features Irish dancing super prominently, yep. incredibly prominently. <laughs> so much so that, spoiler alert for later on in this podcast, two of the producers of this show are the creators of Riverdance. <laughs> Which I have to tell you, I saw on tour. Did you actually? When I was like seven years old. <gasps> Riverdance with Michael Flatley toured here. No. And my parents took me and my sister to see it. And it was one of the best experiences of my whole life. We'll get into yeah. it later, <laughs> but I just wanted to drop that little nugget in there. All right. So we're on a pirate ship, and um, Stephanie J. Block's dad mm-hmm. is like, 
no, you can't be on this ship. You're a woman. Yeah. And she's like, yo, ho, ho. Nope, I'm a pirate. <laughs> um, and the ship's called the Pirate Queen. It's not a kid's show, by the way. It is not a kid's Even show. Even though it sounds like No it one might. says, yo, ho, ho. <laughs> I just love, love, love pirates. Yes. <laughs> and I got really excited because the first 15 minutes are just pirates existing on this pirate ship. Yeah. And they're swinging around on this set that we're going to talk about. And they're <laughs> bouncing around and they're singing acapella anthemic yep. music. The first 15 minutes, I was like, do I love this show? Right. I think I love this show. Um, <laughs> Stephanie J. Block loves a man. Yep. Loves a man named um, Hadley Frazier is the actor's name. Yeah, that's the actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Tiernan or Loves Tiernan. Right? Tiernan or... Okay, so how do we get here? Because we also, we, have, we get to England at some point. Because mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth is a player in this. And the English are trying to invade Ireland. Yes. No, the pirates attack an English ship. Oh, right? that's right. Or yeah. they are attacked, maybe? They're attacked, but they fight off the pirates. Yes. And um, yeah. Stephanie J. Block is especially fearsome. Mm-hmm. And so the English are like, there's this pirate queen on yes. the ship, the pirate queen. And she's really badass, and that could be trouble. So they, um, they, try, they try to invade Ireland. And both this clan, Stephanie J. Block's clan of pirates, and another clan of pirates, the two um, clan leaders, Stephanie J. Block's dad and another person, are mm-hmm. like... Okay, to consolidate power, to hold tight against the English, my daughter needs to marry your son. Right. Um, so Stephanie J. Block is like, no, I love Tiernan. Yes. But <laughs> I guess because of the, um, the world that we're living in, the, um, the class system that we're living in, mm-hmm. I'm stuck. I have to marry this other man from this other clan. Who sucks. Who sucks. He's yeah. a tool. He has a enormous codpiece. Yeah. Which is how you can tell he's a tool. Exactly. It's yeah. a metaphor. It's a metaphor because <laughs> he's a big dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we boot around like that for a while where mm-hmm. he's kind of a coward and isn't a very good leader, but Stephanie J. Block's incredible. Yes. But people don't always pay attention to her because she's a woman. But then she yeah. rallies all the other women of the clan and they kill a bunch of the Englishmen and it's badass. In like a really sexy, cool they, way. They, they're sexy, but then they stab. It's like yeah. probably my favorite part yeah, of the musical, if I'm being honest. Like it started it started, and they were like being sexy and I was like, oh, is this going to be a, pr- this might be a problematic. I don't know. Yeah. And then stab, stab, totally stab. Totally not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they do that and then Stephanie J. Block's dad dies and that's the end of act one. That's right. Um, he passes away and makes Stephanie J. Block Queen of the pirates, queen of the, the clans. Yes. Yeah, much to the chagrin of her of big husband, boy. Codpiece. Yeah. <laughs> His name is actually, I don't know. Codpiece. He's a big dick boy. Yes. Is what he is. <laughs> big dick energy. <laughs> so, we're in act two now. And this is where things get a little foggy. Believe it or not, all that plot happened in act one. And this show's actually not even that long. This show's 210 or something. Yeah. All in. Um, which is surprising for the... Makers of Les Mis. That's true. Famously four hours in its first preview or something like that. So, act two. Stephanie J. Block and um, Codpiece, they have a baby. (laughs) Stephanie J. Block and Codpiece have a baby. Yeah, they do. Um, And that's very exciting. That's very cool. And they get attacked by the English. And Stephanie J. Block, even though she has literally just had a baby, (laughs) crawls into the fight with a sword. Literally crawls on the ground and is a total badass and slays all these pirates. And then Codpiece is grumpy. He's like, what the hell? Yeah. You're a woman. Why are you behaving like a man? Right. Even though he like ran and hid or Yeah, because like, he, he sucks. He didn't he's, do anything. He's terrible. And <laughs> Stephanie J. Block is incredible. Yeah. And Stephanie J. Block says, actually, there's in a remarkably good idea, a like 
three-year probationary period on this marriage yes. where I can just call it off. So I kind of love that. It's, what a good idea. It's a cool rule. Yeah. I'm going to exercise that and we're no longer married and I'm the queen of the pirates. Yeah. And he's like, oh. Because I have the ring. Because I have the ring. Yeah, that daddy gave me. And he's kind of like, <laughs> oh, that sucks. Goodbye. He takes it pretty well. He like, yeah, all told. Considering yeah. he's like so awful through most of the play and then it's like, oh, all right, I guess we're done then. <laughs> also happening in act two, Queen Elizabeth is trying to conquer England, and she's got like a second in command who's also a, um, a big dick. Yes, Richard, actual big dick, Richard. Yeah, exactly. This, this is a historical person. These are all historical people. I meant because the nickname for Richard is Dick. But oh, that... I, I, I gotcha. Yes. <laughs> that too. Big Richard. Um, <laughs> and there's this weird thing where Queen Elizabeth is like, if you conquer England and polish off the pirate queen, mm-hmm. um, we get to have sex. Uh, Paul, corrections corner. She's trying to conquer Ireland. Shoot, I'm sorry. Being the Queen of England, she's kind of already got that place unlocked. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got to conquer Ireland. Or if you, Big Richard, if you conquer Ireland. <laughs> Big Richard, if you conquer so Ireland, you can sire the next king of England or whatever right. it is, which is a very bizarre pseudo-sexual power dynamic. Right, and coming from the virginal queen, this is a huge yeah. offer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so he goes off and does that, something, something. The pirate queen and the English queen end up just talking together. And I looked it up. This is... um. Apparently this actually happened where mm-hmm, they sat the down for this, this meeting, the two um, heads of these, um, of these countries, mm-hmm. and no one really knows what happened there. Exactly. But, for so- but somehow the pirate queen made a case for Ireland's independence or semi-independence. Right. And that's kind of the end. It kind of ends with a, do you hear the people sing <laughs> moment? Yeah, pretty much. Right? The only kind of major plot point I think yeah. that you've missed is that uh, Grania, Stephanie J. Block's character, yes. gets captured and That's put in right. prison for seven years, which is hard to conceptualize on stage. In I forgot two about hours. that. That's very important. Yeah. yeah. And I think the thing that Queen Elizabeth finds amazing about it is that Tiernan comes to offer um, himself in her place right. as prisoner so that she can be with her son. It's a love, true love type thing. Yeah. And yep. so Elizabeth, who doesn't understand um, men, in the sense that she doesn't understand how a man could do something so selflessly for yeah. a woman without ulterior motives, then that's when the conversation, I think, happens. That's right. I think that's the catalyst for it, but... I think so. I, I got... Daph, can you remember? Uh, one more important piece of information. Uh, Codpiece McFuckface also betrays the Irish. Uh, <gasps> yes. That's right. Like, there's a whole big, like, comatic battle where, like, the English and the Irish are, like, going at it, and then uh, Grace is captured. That's when she's captured. And, and right. then she's all like, how could you do this, Codpiece McFuckface? Yeah, yes. you're, says, I'm the mother of your child. She yeah, doesn't say And that, then he but. says, my name is Codpiece McFuckface. What were you expecting? Yeah. Totally. I handled our breakup really well, but I was being vindictive. There we go. I, yeah. I do remember <laughs> this. Yeah. This all makes sense. I got bogged down in Act 2 especially because I got distracted and started looking up, wow, this is fascinating yes. and not the way I would expect a musical to go. Does yeah. this have some historical context? Right. So I had kind of had one eye on actually reading about this. It's really an incredible story. It's based so, so much fascinating. on history. What's Stephanie J. Block's, um, what's the real life person she's based uh, on again? Grania O'Malley. Grania O'Malley, who is, yeah. it's an incredible story. I would encourage everyone to look it up. There's a book, the detail the, um, the story of Grania O'Malley. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. Yeah. So that's my understanding of the Pirate Queen having seen it once. Yeah. If we wanted to license <laughs> the Pirate Queen, yo ho ho, yeah. <laughs> what would it be? So on Stage Agent, it says, 
Grace O'Malley, which is Stephanie J. Block's character, yep. is the heir to the O'Malley clan and proves herself worthy through her bravery on the seas and skill in swordplay. In a time when women were expected to learn skills to make a good wife in the homestead, Grace defies her father and earns the title the Pirate Queen, inspiring men and women alike to follow her. When the English begin to attack and subjugate Ireland, only Grace has the strength and intelligence to negotiate peace with the powerful Queen Elizabeth I, with a score by Claude-Michel Schoenberg and Alain Boublil, uh, steeped in Irish traditions and powerful ballads, the Pirate oh, yeah. Queen is both timeless history and epic romance for the stage. I, can I change my answer to that? That's much yeah. more concise. And, <laughs> and I, I think, liked your version. And I think I think does it justice, because there's, I'll say it one more time, as we get into both the good and the bad of this, this mm-hmm. is a really powerful story. Yeah. It's really cool, a really fascinating piece of history. And, ah, hell, let's just dive in. Let's do it. Book by Alain Boubille, Claude-Michel Schoenberg, and Richard Maltby Jr. Music by Claude-Michel Schoenberg. Lyrics by Alain Boublil, Richard Maltby Jr., and John Dempsey, who was brought on later. Music was orchestrated, and the vocal arrangements and the music direction all by Julian Kelly. I saw that, yeah. Based on the novel Grania, She King of the Irish Seas by Morgan Llewellyn. And it's important that we mention that Grania is the... Uh, Gaelic name. Yes. But they refer to her or call her Grace yeah. um, in the musical. Totally. So if we, we use those sometimes maybe interchangeably, I try to stick with Grania. But if we slip into Grace, that's the same character. Absolutely. So I would like to propose that we do book and lyrics in the same because this music is, musical is almost entirely sung through. Woo. There are three major Broadway players I think the only name that I'm like, oh, I recognize this name, but I don't know a lot about them and their work is Richard Maltby Jr. Richard Maltby Jr. is a super fascinating dude. As a, both a composing team with David Shire. Right, Maltby and Shire. Maltby and Shire. He wrote both Broadway and off-Broadway musicals. Right. Um, some pretty successful, like Baby. I think Baby was their first one to hit Broadway. Oh, sure. Okay. Richard Maltby Jr. really made his name, not as a lyricist though, but as a director and kind of producer and just an artistic force behind shows. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, obviously him and David Shire wrote Big as well, which we're going to talk about someday in this podcast, which mm-hmm. was in another enormous flop. Big, enormous flop. That's very funny. <laughs> and it's a fascinating show. They're fascinating. They're a fascinating composer team. They write very interesting music and lyrics. Right. Another big one is Ring of Fire. Oh, cool. right. That's right. I did read that. Yeah, okay. he's the, he was the driving creative force between, behind um, conceiving and directing Ring of Fire. A lot of the time, it's conceived and directed by. Got it. He's been involved with Boublil and Schoenberg um, before through work on Miss Saigon. This is when Richard Maltby Jr. was at the height of his power, closer than ever, had just gone very well, and did a, um, some work on the English translation of Miss Saigon. The other two things that he conceived and directed that are very significant are Ain't Misbehaven and Fosse. Ah, uh, yes, okay. Yeah. And brought on for this to do the English translation, and kind of show doctor the show a little bit as well. Right. So what can you tell us about the development process of this, Jill? 
So I watched this really fascinating, I think it was about 45 minutes long, mm-hmm. uh, documentary on YouTube about the making of the Pirate Queen. And they yep. follow it from like the first um, Chicago out of town workshop trial thing. And so that was October and November of 2006. So not too long before they opened on Broadway. Like no. it's a very quick turnaround time. Yeah. Um, so the team that was there in Chicago kind of changed a little bit as it went to Broadway. Yeah. And I think part of that was the lyrics in the book. Yeah. It see it seems like the change was trying to hail Mary save exactly. The show. Yeah. Exactly. And and you can kind of see we'll talk about this a little more in depth with uh, our opinions on the lyrics, but you can really see that um, people had come in and tried to help basically. Like yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of like pastiche feeling I guess um, because there were so many contributors yeah so between the change from Chicago to the actual Broadway production a few people were brought on in different in different ways creatively to help it's a really interesting book slash lyrics and when we're talking about that we're also talking about just the wider structure of the piece yes because there's a ton of plot it doesn't do what both both, um, Les Mis and Miss Saigon have a ton of plot as well Mm mm-hmm and they make it work so effectively by having these moments where huge amounts of action happen and huge amounts of information are dumped. Yes. And then pausing for three to five minutes so that Fontaine can be seconds away from death. Right. And sing an enormous... For five minutes. For five minutes. That, that push and pull of time is really what makes Les Mis work. So even if right. you haven't quite followed exactly the nuance of... Um, what has happened historically, mm-hmm. you can connect really clearly to Fontaine or Jean Valjean or Eponine or Cosette or Marius or whoever the case may be and what they're feeling emotionally. And this show, I think the source material is right up there with yeah. Les Mis as far as value goes. Yeah, it's very compelling. But it goes really hard on the information mm-hmm. and doesn't, in my opinion, go in hard enough on the emotional context. It's all just an emotional, sorry, a plot dump maybe. And so we're not connecting to it as deeply. Is that kind of what you're... That's what I'm saying, especially because it's it's already a translation. You can't rely quite as much, at least on English audiences, especially not audiences who aren't super bright when it comes to plot like me, Mm -hmm. to follow every detail of the plot. So if your whole thing hinges on deep understanding of the plot, you're going to leave a lot of your audience in trouble. Yes. That's my major complaint. Yeah. What about you? Where's your head? The lyrics feel really clunky. And I don't want to fault these lyricists and composers because no. their first language is not English. It's French. And so a part of me is like, I, w- I wonder what it would have sounded like, even from a phrasing perspective, in French. When you listen to Les Mis and you listen to these kind of recit info mm-hmm. dump sections, that's where you really hear the translation. Phrases that are kind of a little unbalanced. Yeah, like syllabically, it just like doesn't quite check out. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. It, it reminds me of any kind of operatic translation. There's like one song in this that I would consider a triumph. Yeah, as far as like, uh, I dreamed a dream, yeah. let's hear this at a talent show for the next 50 years. Yeah, yeah. lyrically speaking. Because yeah. cause musically, I think we could make a different case for this altogether. Yeah. But lyrically, I think there's just one song that I feel like really captures it and stands alone. It's the woman one. Do you know which one I mean? Like right at the beginning where she's like, 
I'm a woman. I don't know. It's yeah, so I know. wrong. But uh, yeah, she says the word woman a lot. Scrubs it a bit. Yeah. So lyrically, I feel like that one is the I dreamed a dream moment where yeah. you're like, oh, I can get on board with this. Yeah. Yeah. Like even looking up this show on YouTube, like you have to wade through a lot of audition cuts <laughs> of that song <laughs> yes. to get to anything that actually was from the 2007 Totally. Totally. Because it clearly survived. There's no question that all of the creators involved in this are masters of their craft. Mm -hmm. This show tells a very complex story, tells it effectively. This is not amateur hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is some, <laughs> yeah. some pros doing great work. And I think maybe, maybe they got to the end of the Chicago tryouts and it's too late to rewrite. Yeah. So they went more all in on making the plot clearer. Right. Maybe they just added more fighting. More sword fights? Because I love They're the like, sword fights. Just, I love this show when it's pirates. To be done. Let's just yeah. make them fight and dance. <laughs> I mean, the book itself, there's like three lines of spoken dialogue in this whole piece. Yeah. I have a really funny comment from YouTube that I think I should bring up now. Yes, very Because good. it falls under the lyrics and adaptation kind of a thing. Please. So as we've mentioned previously, it, it's based on the true story of Grania O'Malley yep. and the O'Malley clan. Absolutely. And... Um, this guy on YouTube named Jim oh. <laughs> wrote in the comments of the, the video we watched of this production. His wife is a Grace O'Malley reenactor. Oh, cool. What a cool thing to which be. Which I was like, yeah. tell me more. Absolutely. Well, I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that was a thing. I need to go see her perform. Like, I need yeah. to know about this. And so he says that they went to a library to watch this production because she was very interested. She's researched Grania O'Malley sure. extensively, obviously, yeah. and knows every bit about her life. And so they thought, oh, there's a musical. Cool. We'll go yeah. to the library and we'll watch it. And she was apparently very disappointed in, <laughs> in the liberties, the artistic license that they took with, with the story. So I empathize with that feeling because I think... Like many people who feel very strongly about one specific thing and you find out it's going to be a musical, there's excitement because yeah. you hope that they will honor it, right? Yeah. You hope that they will do this story justice and this person justice. And then if you know a lot about them and that doesn't happen, that could be really disappointing. So my heart goes out to Jim's wife. <laughs> I think I'd be frustrated as well. I don't think you're winning many new fans. Although maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm a new fan. I'm after having watch this, I'm like, oh, what a cool story. Mm -hmm. What a fascinating piece of history. I think it's awesome. But in general, I'm not sure there's many people who would go in not having much sympathy for the, <laughs> the plight of women and of the Irish yes. at this time. Right. Who would leave going, oh, now I understand. Yeah. Okay, so all of this to say, yes. out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are we going to give these lyrics concepts adaptation thing that's a very tough question for this I one agree. wow i feel like this actually might be one of the big issues with the show i agree i'm gonna land at a four and a half because i did leave feeling like i want to learn more about Grania o'malley but i don't want to learn about her through this show so i think lyrically and conceptually that's the problem i'm going to go a fair bit higher. Oh, okay. I'm going to pitch you on six because <laughs> even though I agree that the book and the lyrics, if we're going to identify a problem with this show, are the problem, just to be able to take this much information mm, right. and turn it into 
something that is watchable and compelling mm-hmm. and interesting, even if it's not extremely all of those things. It, right. fa- it, it certainly doesn't succeed wholeheartedly at all of those things, but it doesn't fail at any of them. It's not a disaster by any means. So I'm going to say six because I admire the artistry, even if it's clear that something critical didn't click. That's very nice of you, Paul. Fair enough. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. It's spring. The sun is out. I'm feeling yeah. terrible. <laughs> Should we talk about the music? Let's talk about the music. <laughs> wow, I love when they sang uh, Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. <laughs> I loved when they sang um, Red and Black. Yeah. Red, <laughs> the blood of angry pirates. They're a big fan of explaining what colors mean. Yeah, they love it. While you're in a, while you're in yeah. a cafe or a bar. Yeah. yeah. Okay, the Gaston number was cool too. Oh, you mean the Master of the House number? Master of the House yep. slash Gaston. <laughs> Very good. I liked when they actually had a reprise of Look Down with an actual yes. Gavroche. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he didn't speak. So musically, Paul. Yes. <laughs> We get a lot of echoes of yep. their, um, of Les Mis. I'll just say it. I'll yep. call it what it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So many echoes to Les Mis. Yep. I would say of the musicals, the epics that they've written, yep. that's the one that it calls to the most. Absolutely. Okay, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, but I get the impression that we both actually really enjoy yep. that 80s booming Love pop. It. Beretta. Oh, I'm in for it. Right. Because some of the um, shows we've collaborated on, you lean into that a little or find it in places it doesn't exist. Musical theater wouldn't be what it was today without Les Mis, Mm -hmm. without um, Bublé Lundschoenberg. Yep. And it's great. There's a reason for that. Les Mis gets a because Les Mis is so popular, Mm -hmm. it gets dissected and discussed with a greater level of scrutiny than a lot of shows do. Yeah. And so for that reason, it's the flaws are on display a lot more than a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can if you can if we can separate ourselves from the fact that everyone and their father yeah. has a opinion on Les Mis <laughs> and on the so function of Les Mis, it's an incredible show. I it's fantastic. love it. I love Les Mis. Yeah. <laughs> I I love it. I yeah. wore out the 10th anniversary VHS yeah, and then I wore out the 25th anniversary DVD. Like no I, yeah. I can't help myself. Yeah. The image in my head is the Les Mis score. Yeah. And they take a bucket of water and they pour it on the Les Mis score. Yeah. And then the notes sort of blend <laughs> yeah. together and then they use it to write this show. What I put is that it's like Les Mis meets Celtic women. Oh, sure. You ever watched Celtic Women that, um, it's like this concert experience similar to Riverdance? Isn't it like a trio? It's and a one quartet. Fiddles. There's three, oh, three singers yeah, and yeah, a woman yeah. who fiddles and dances. Totally. Very familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a very cool thing. It's my dream love, job love, is love. to be the conductor for Celtic Women or for a Celtic Women type thing. Yes. Um, because it's just incredible. <laughs> anyway, this, this show is very much that vibe mm-hmm. because there's, you know, like there's these synth pads that create a lot of space it evokes like mist irish dew or whatever (laughs) (laughs) and there's recorder there's like titanic style recorder left and right harp everywhere harp everywhere yeah (laughs) there's a lot to love in this score 
there's a lot of acapella singing. This is a difference from the Les Mis score that I really like. Yes, in texture. And, yeah, this is yeah. a new te a texture that's not from Les Mis that I really love is these acapella style chants. Yes. And sings a lot of it in unison or like just one harmony part. Yeah. And I think that's very fascinating and very new. Mm -hmm. And then when they do get into these um, these ballads, things like the uh, the Stephanie J. Block Act yeah. One ballad or the Love Duet or something, it is very much that Les Mis texture. And I think that's great. I'm here for it. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's do it. I agree with like so much of what you're saying. I actually think that those ballads may be the downfall. Fair enough. Of their score because there's so much air in them. Their phrasing tends to be very long. Yeah. In, in most sure. ballads that they write, which totally. again, not a bad thing. But if your show is 80% ballads, yeah. you lose me. And I yeah. think that's kind of what happens here. You know what else I, Minoru, I agree completely. What else I miss as I'm thinking about it, about what makes Les Mis work? I miss the, uh, the screaming tenors. Oh man, yeah. Like, <laughs> Les Mis works A, because of Jean Valjean off the top. Yes. But also because both in um, Look Down and in At the End of the Day, mm -hmm. you've got these screaming tenors and then screaming sopranos oh, in at the so end of the good. day, nailing it to the back of the wall. You're like, all right. Yeah, yeah. Some, literally some of the world's best singers doing this. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the vocal arranging is a problem in this, where it doesn't showcase mm -hmm. elasticity yes. in the same way that makes Les Mis so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I can agree with that. And do you feel like, because one of my favorite parts about Les Mis is that it's a collection of some of the best singers ever singing as loud as they can <laughs> yep. in really nice ways. Yep. And we only get that maybe two times in this show. I agree. And I think they, they give that to Stephanie J. Block, I think. We'll get to it, but Stephanie J. Block yes. is outstanding in this show. Her, at least this is my opinion, we'll, we'll coordinate, but mm -hmm. she, she sounds incredible. She yeah. sounds absurd. Oh, yeah. And that's, and is singing in an intense tessitura with an incredible sound. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see the rest of the people do that. Yep. You know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So Ben Brantley is back, everyone. Yes, Welcome. hey, Ben. Oh, I'm sorry. Ben, you want me to do, read it for you? Okay. <laughs> I will read... <laughs> I'll read your review for you. Shy. Ben's shy. Yeah, he doesn't like to okay. appear in person. So Ben Brantley called the Pirate Queen's music loud and restless. Sure. Which, uh, it's hard for me to know about the loud part. Obviously, we weren't yep. in the space, but I could see that. He also wrote, quote, There's not a ballad or choral number in the Pirate Queen that doesn't sound like a garbled echo of a more stirring tune from Les Mis, given the requisite touch of green via musical accents of penny whistle, Ilian pipes, and Gaelic harps. Not wrong, Ben. Not wrong. Yeah, that's... But it's also maybe not bad the way that he thinks it is. Yeah, like that's, the, that's a Because he's kind it. of like not interested in that aspect of it. But, like, it sounds to me like you and I both agree that that's something we actually like about it, mm -hmm. is that new texture. Yeah. There's this insistence that I found, especially in music theater. I've, had, I've spoken with people who talk about this, about even, like, luminaries like Stephen Sondheim or yes. Lin-Manuel Miranda or Bubli Lynn Schoenberg, who I would call luminaries, mm -hmm. where if they repeat a texture at all, it's hacky. Yes, you I have was to, thinking about this, this, this idea that you have day. to keep on creating something totally new. Yes. I'm not sure that's fair. I'm not sure that's yeah. a fair thing to say, especially in the case of you've done something like Lame Is, and you've told this, this epic historical drama mm -hmm. very well. You've, you've cracked it. You've cracked yeah. the code. Yeah. Why wouldn't you use a bunch of the tools that you found? Yes. To tell another historical story. If it ain't broke. If it ain't, if it ain't broke. Yeah. 
That's not to say that innovation should be discouraged, mm-hmm. but it seems like with musical theater composers especially, it's such a fine, fickle line between your own voice and yes. they're just doing the same thing over and over again. I could not agree more. That is something that I've been reflecting on, especially through us talking about the, you know, on this podcast, we're seeing some repeat composers come up or yeah. we're, you know, talking about people that otherwise have had major hits and we're wondering, you know, what happened? I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head when you say like I don't know. It's hard. But I like to think about that. And I like to keep that in the back of my mind when we're talking about these composers. I'd like to rate this twice. I'd like to rate this music twice. Okay. Once, based on the context that we know. And once, try to imagine that Les Mis doesn't exist. Okay. I you know what that. I mean? Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I love okay. that. Let's play this. So, based on everything we know, yep. I will give this music a five and a half. Yep. I land exactly the same. I was going to say five. Knowing that these yeah. are two of the most successful musical theater composers of all time, wrote a score that is both complicated and musically sound, but everyone can listen to, mm-hmm. even um, people with no background in musical theater. Yep. Knowing that they did that, this just isn't up to that standard. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a five. Yeah. Okay. What if Les Mis didn't exist? If Les Mis didn't exist, and this was maybe my first introduction. Yep. yep. This is the first show they ever wrote. Eight. Absolutely, right? <laughs> it's, it's an eight. I agree completely. And it, it tugs on my Scottish heartstrings a little bit because yeah. sonically, we're like, I recognize this in my soul. Yeah. And so I feel connected to it, I think, in a weird way that I don't often in musical theater because Brigadoon doesn't do it even. Like, sure. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Daphne, what do you think? I had the same experience. Like, my family is English-Scottish, and even though, like, I'm not descended directly from like this culture Mm -hmm. something about hearing like a pan flute or a recorder and seeing like these crazy flailing legs I'm like take me home (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm I mean I'm Scottish it's like a completely different (laughs) everything but for some reason there's a connection there and it it cannot be denied so it's so fast it's almost like it would have been better Mm -hmm. for for them to write this under a pseudonym or something you know what I mean? Rather than yeah. rather than helping their celebrity composer names hurt this show. Yeah. Is kind of the conclusion we have to draw. Isn't that wow. interesting? Oh, wow. I uh, love that that game, Paul. Thank yeah, you for that. It's helpful too. Yeah. To be like, yeah, mm-hmm. in different context. Final thoughts. The end of Act One is bomb. It's great. And all the of The funeral. Yeah. Yes. Great. And all of the um, Queen Elizabeth songs suck. I don't like that oh. texture. That's bad. Yeah. Boo, throw them Don't out, like trash them. No. Sorry to anyone for whom that is their favorite part of the show, slash yeah. their favorite part in all of musical theater history. Yeah. You can contact us on Instagram yeah. and YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and do that. Because I'd love, to, I'd love to just chat with you about why. I'm just curious. I'm curious. All right. Should we talk about the uh, direction and choreo? Oh, yeah. Directed by Frank Galati, otherwise known as the director of ragtime and susical. <laughs> I mean, variety, right? The Irish dance choreographer was Carol Levy Joyce, who also did Riverdance on Broadway, so I think understands Broadway audiences, but more so understands Irish dancing. The associate choreographer was Rachel Bress. Musical staging by Graciela Danielle, who, I mean, if you've never heard her name, please do a Google, literally has done everything. And then Fight Direction by J. Stephen White. And I really wanted to call attention to the fight as it's um, 
own entity in this show. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. Direction, Paul, go. There's a lot to like in this direction. Mm-hmm. And some stuff that really frustrated me, but I'm not sure who to put the blame for the frustrating things on. Okay. So, Maybe I can help you. Yep. Yeah, I liked a lot about the um, direction was that I felt a lot of empathy with uh, a lot of the characters. Yes. I, I was really connected to Grace throughout the whole piece. I'm cheering mm-hmm. for her. This is both the strength of the direction and of Stephanie J. Block being incredible. Yes. And so between Grace and Tiernan, I'm feeling, I'm feeling that romance. Between Grace and her father, the Pirate King, oh, I'm yeah, feeling um, nice. a lot of good. These are moments that are landing, and these are moments that this show would be a disaster without those. Already right. you're having trouble mining those moments out of such a packed-in story. So the um, relationships are clear. Relationships are super clear. Great. That's a, that's a huge feat, I think, yep. for a lot of directors and actors as well. So that's excellent. Okay. There's a lot of staging <laughs> where, uh-huh. and it didn't, and I, I, I'm questioning whether it's the musical stager or the director, because it didn't, it yeah. wasn't the choreo staging or the fights. I think, I think you're onto something. But there was I, yeah. just some, something about the way people were positioned on stage or mm-hmm. moving gently around the stage in action. That was really bizarre. There was a lot of squishy slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Which I, I think actually can be incredibly useful, but yeah. when used sparingly. Yep. And uh, we see an abundance of it in this one. Yeah. And so my gut tells me that that's the musical staging uh, by Graciela Danielle. Again, a late bring in. So she was not attached to the Chicago trial and they brought her in I think toward either the end of the out-of-town trial or right before they went to Broadway so maybe there's something there too that you're seeing like a lack of cohesive um, physical storytelling because she was brought in so late showing that we have to we have to conclude that they're 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 what they found at the Chicago tryout we've seen evidence of this already what Mm -hmm. they found was some serious problems that needed to be fixed before New York yeah, and I guess one of those problems, which is really smart of them to bring in someone who has Broadway choreo experience absolutely, and staging experience because there are going to be holes that maybe uh, an Irish dancer who doesn't have like musical theater training would not see. Absolutely. And so I think it's a very smart choice to bring her in, but maybe the when they brought her in was the issue. This is just going off the top of my head. We're coming around to Riverdance again. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Riverdance in person. I wish you I would. Really I wish should. I, could. Oh, I would love man. to. I would love. I can't wait till I have the opportunity to do yeah. so. But it's staged like a concert, right? Very much rock concert with yeah. just dancing. So, having to deal with just the actual physical, mm-hmm. like levels. You yes. know what I mean? Of and I mean levels both vertically and horizontally. Yeah. Of a theater piece and to create that kind of world and that kind of physical space. Hmm wouldn't necessarily be something that the, um, the staging team was ready for off the top. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. That's a beast, yeah. you know, to try to integrate all of these different things <laughs> into one show. So what do you, where, where's your head at for the direction? So the direction I found was actually very operatic, where yeah. it would be like, let's move when no one's singing. And then stand and sing. The old park and bar. As as they say. Yeah. (laughs) Which I find if if a person's strong suit is not acting and they're forced to stand and deliver, you see the flaws of their performance more clearly. Whereas if you give them things to do and they send their energy into action, it actually allows them to open up and to really tell the story. So I think maybe those 
glimpses were missing in some some moments. So it works incredibly well for Stephanie J. Block, where just mm-hmm. this energy flows through her and yep. out her mouth, and it's the sound and the energy and everything is great. Absolutely. But maybe doesn't work quite as well for some of the other performers. Exactly, and I and I would say that it's mainly just the people who don't have full arcs. So yep. it would be like the soloists, for example. There's a woman who sings, she's sort of like, not a town crier, but almost like the mother of this clan, right? She's like some kind of matriarch. Yes, yeah. the matriarch of this clan. And she um, will come in and sing. And she sings beautifully. But I, again, I think there's not a lot happening because she's just been told to stand and sing. Yep. I'm a big believer in give, give them something to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's my hot take on the direction. And I think actually that's what Ben Brantley thought too. Yeah, totally. That it was, he said that Mr. Galati's staging tends to step on what should be breathtaking climaxes or curtain lines. And in parentheses writes, I was never sure in the death scenes when or even if characters had really died. So it's like, there's just yeah, not, uh, like a lack of clarity in some of those moments. So that's the direction. On one hand, the choreo is such a separate thing. On the other hand, this piece is such a unified structure in that regard. I think to me, it makes the most sense to do direction and musical staging together and then to talk about the Irish dancing separately. Yeah, you know what, why not? Let's mention it. Let's talk about it now. The fight direction's awesome. I love it. It's so good. I am a person who, you know how sometimes people go to see like a chorus line and they're like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. It's so amazing. Look at them all dancing. I feel that about fight fight related. I'm like, I am so amazed. This takes so much focus and attention. This person, these people are so gifted and work so hard. Like I just, I could never say anything bad about fight direction unless it's unsafe. Like that's literally the only thing I would ever feel like wouldn't work. And none of this was unsafe to me. It was all really incredible. I'm inclined to agree between that and the, uh, the gymnastics as well. A lot of the fight direction goes hand in hand with some pretty impressive physicality that mm-hmm. I would define as like gymnastic style physicality. Yeah. Lots of swinging and oh, climbing. Yes. We'll get to it in the, we'll get it we'll get to it in the set, but there's the first fifteen minutes of this show take place on a pirate ship mm-hmm. and this set is incredible and like I think the first fifteen minutes of this show might be one of my favorite musicals. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> utterly incredible because it's yeah. all the things that are just breathtaking yeah. to watch. It evokes for me, like, have you ever been to, like, Disney World or Universal yeah. Studios? Oh, sure. Those really immersive. I'm thinking of, like, uh, like the Indiana Jones right. experience or something like yeah. that, where it's a lot of, like, rappelling and fight choreo and just strapping young men rappelling from the ceiling. It's just, that, yeah. that was the first 15 minutes of this show. And I Absolutely. love it. Can't get enough. Love it. And the... The fights continue on in that regard. Like you said, there's a a moment where the the women mm-hmm. um, like go to seduce the English men, uh, but then instead of seducing them at the last minute, stab them instead. And <laughs> I love it. That's it's really cool. Yeah, it's really effective. So maybe that's is that maybe it? I think so. In yeah. terms of like staging, musical staging. Yeah. Once again, there's whole things in the Queen's Court in England, Ugh, and yeah. who cares about that? That's very boring and yeah. it's hard to remember. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> it is. They're just walking around in these big dresses, and I guess that's kind of cool, but uh, is I don't it know. There's that moment that I actually I didn't love. I love the idea of. Grace and Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. this real historical event where they had this conversation. Oh, you no mean one, the confrontation? Like basically, Valjean at last, right? But no, like but they, but they do, like they, they do that bit where they put them behind this curtain, right? To discuss, and they play it with um, all the the ladies in waiting or whatever, leaning, leaning. in and trying to listen. 
<laughs> that was dumb. I don't know about that. What did you think of that? I don't mind that. Whatever. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as far as the queen moments, that's like the least offensive one to me. Right. All right, um, let's so give it a grade. Direction, musical, staging, fight, choreo. Where are you going to rate? Okay, so all of them together, I think the fighting really like amps up my score for the other two. Yeah. But I would say I'm at about a seven monkeys out of ten playbills. Oh, that's a good rating. But it's mostly because the fighting like bumped it up by like two points. Yeah. Because otherwise I'd probably be at a five, five and a half. I'd be at a five and a half. And then the fighting, especially the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, a seven feels great. Great. Let's do a seven. <laughs> All right. Now, don't, 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 don't. Let's talk about the Lord of the Dead. All legs, all legs and heads. All legs. Yeah. So many circles. So many circles. So much stomping. I love it. I yeah. literally could, I, oh my gosh, I could watch hours and hours yeah. of Irish dancing. Have you ever seen the, um, the video from Eurovision? That was the first introduction of okay. Riverdance. I've never watched the video, but I know that that's where like Riverdance kind of began. Was Michael Flatley in that oh, yeah. performance? Was he ever? <laughs> It's I'm obsessed with Michael Flatley. Worth a watch. Like he it's might have so been cool. my second crush after Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I believe it. Yeah. I like so. it was like, oh, JTT, cool, cool, cool. That's a Ooh, big Michael Flatley. That's though. a big leap to make from baby face Jonathan Taylor Thomas to sweaty shirtless. I don't know. <laughs> was that V, the deep V? Like it was just too much. <laughs> that, that, that's a woman's crush. There. Yeah, <laughs> a woman's crush. <laughs> I grew up real quick. What can I say? Yeah, I don't know. There's I love some, it. Oh, yep. It's so athletic. It's so incredible. The artistry that it takes, the precision, the strength. I mean, I mean, I come from a Highland dance background, which yep. is very different, and people often confuse the two. Totally. But again, it's like there's something in my soul that connects with d- those styles of dance. In your opinion, mm-hmm. is it used organically in this? No. Interesting. <laughs> and I don't care. Right. Like, I don't care Very at good. all. I mean, okay, I shouldn't say that. There's a couple moments where I think it kind of happens in a nice way. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, great. We naturally transition into this. Like, the christening, I think there's like a, a move into the... Irish dancing and Chris, even, even in the pub I don't hate it I, I think that's either. very organic too but yeah. in the funeral they do some dancing and then they incorporate the dancing into the bows which I feel a little iffy on I'm not a huge fan of doing that personally yeah I would Show's rather done. the Let's bows be, be just bows yeah but again to each their especially own. for a show like this this isn't friggin' Mamma Mia you know what I mean We're, right we told a historical event Let's. and it was long yeah let's get out of this theater buy yeah. me a drink will you well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Give me, give me all the uh, Irish yeah. dance. I love it. I want to talk really quickly about something that fascinated me in the yes. documentary was the way that they used sound in relation to these dancers' feet. Okay. It's really, from a technical perspective, it's yeah. really fascinating. So maybe this will transition us smoothly into the design. Yes, yes, yes. They talked about how they have... I was going to call it a microchip, but they have a way to identify which dancer, where they are on stage so that they can move the sound, like the mics, to where that person is so that no matter where you are, you're a soloist. It's mapping. They called it like mapping or sound mapping. And I was blown away by that because of course you would need that. Of course you would in order to make everyone have the same auditory experience to visual experience, no matter where you're sitting. I mean- It's like a, like a take on tap mics. Right. But to a, to a greater extent. Exactly. So I'm kind of wondering, is that a standard? Are we seeing, is that happening more mapping these performers on stage? Maybe it is. Let's, let's reach out to a sound designer, bud. 
to Let's someone who sound designs for major musicals. I was blown away. I was wow. amazed. And I was like 10 points to Gryffindor because, th- That's wow. That's incredibly fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know more about that. Wow. Okay. Irish dancing. Okay. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are you giving it? Like nine. It's Irish. It's Irish I know. <laughs> yeah. Like I... minus one because like you said, it's not always organically yes. incorporated. Yeah. But it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like... Couldn't agree more. Nine, yeah. nine and a half. I, it would have been an, an 11 or 12 if Michael Flatley made an appearance. <laughs> Michael Flatley. <laughs> I wonder like a, where he just is. At the christening, a guest appearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the real father. Dun, 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 dun. He was like baby. <laughs> Big Richard Flatley. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> he was the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it took you a second. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, right. let's talk about the design. Woo. Scenic design by Eugene Lee. Costume design by Martin Pacladinas. Lighting design by Kenneth Posner. Sound design by Jonathan Deans. Aerial sequence design by Paul Rubin. Hair design by friend of the podcast, Paul Huntley is back. Oh, hey, Paul. <laughs> and makeup design by another friend of the podcast, Angelina Avalone. Oh, Angelina. Welcome back. Glad that she's getting work. That's good. So before we talk about these things, I think it's really important to talk about the budget. So what did you hear that it lost? So all I heard, I didn't find a number for budget. Okay. But I heard that it lost at least 16 million. That's one six. I heard that too. Yeah. And then I also heard that the budget was upward of 16 million. So that would mean (laughs) that they essentially lost the budget. It wouldn't surprise me. And I think that's one of the big challenges facing this show mm-hmm. was probably the cost of actually running it yes. and the cost that it had even sunk into it yeah. and keeping that running. It faces a lot of shows that spend this much money. It hurt Shrek. It hurt Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if it hurt this. Well, I'm Big interested. Fish was six million and that show did not have nearly... Nearly the, the technical elements of this. Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up before we talked about the design because yeah. in my mind, that's where most of, if not all of the funds went. I agree. <laughs> so yeah. let's talk about those sets. There are some incredible sets in this. Mm-hmm. There are some mind-blowing sets. However, mm-hmm. in my opinion, those sets aren't used for long enough. And instead, they end up spending a lot of time in sets that aren't much of anything and looks that aren't much of anything so that they can take their sweet time to reset. For example, we're in this pirate ship at the very top. And after that, we maybe see that pirate ship once again. Pirate ship's one of the best sets in the show. Yep. Then it isn't until like the end of act two, we end up in this the queen's palace set. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible. Yes. And I was like, why on earth haven't we seen this set yet? And we were watching it with dear friend of the podcast, Ali Fulmick, mm-hmm. um, who works in, uh, in production management and technical direction quite a bit. And they were like, well, they needed the intermission break to set that up. Like to get, to take, <laughs> yeah. to move major elements of the pirate ship right. set and get the palace set, major elements of the pa- palace set ready to be flown in. Ugh. Once again, I would compare and contrast with Les Mis, mm-hmm. which makes really excellent use of these two or three major set pieces that it has. Right. These set pieces, the set pieces are all here. The design is great. It just isn't functioning for the show. Yeah, like it's clunky in that sense. Yeah. Because we don't stay anywhere long enough to really settle into the environment. Yeah. 
and it's nothing to do with the like the way it was designed. I think it was just the size of the design yep. in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I almost would rather like a permanent ship fixture. Yeah. And then we'll just play the action in other ways and places, you know? We had a level for the queen, like leave her up there, you know? Yeah. Well, let's just, say, let's just say the clan lives on the ship. Yeah. Great. Like, we buy that. I buy, yeah. Easy to buy. Yeah. I know it's probably not historically accurate, but it's a freaking musical. Let's... It's a musical. Yeah. We're singing all our words. Absolutely. <laughs> let's, stay, let's stay on the really nice set. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad we agree yeah, on that. Yeah, I agree. That. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That said, the pieces that are good are oh, yeah. like the best we've seen on this podcast. Totally. They're incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that budget. They use that budget. Absolutely. Wow, wow, wow. They're climbing on the set. There's a big sail yes. in the back for a while. I love the aerial work in, in, on the set pieces, hard to, like hard the climbing on yeah. the mast and everything. Yeah. It's really amazing. Is mast the word I'm looking for? Yeah. I, I did so. a shifting. Good thing. job, me. <laughs> <laughs> Costumes as well. Lots of nice costumes. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Like, I am pretty sure that one of the queen's, like, wigs is worth more than my car. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I would wager, I guess, that these costumes cost, like, the amount of a couple of houses in yeah. Winnipeg, in the Winnipeg market. Like, as much as we've made it clear over this podcast that... Queen Elizabeth is neither of our favorite part of the show. Oh, yeah. Um, we need like less than half the amount of Queen Elizabeth time, you know? But people go bananas for period style English queens. Oh, and you're for Queen right. Elizabeth especially. You know what I mean? There is nothing that people like more than someone playing the queen. What else do I have to say? Codpiece? Big codpiece? Yeah. Palace set? There it was. You can climb on the set. Yo ho ho. Uh, big pirate door. wheel at the start. It's a big oh, pirate yeah, the wheel. wheel. What a good idea. I love that. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> good lights. The wigs are good, actually. Good wigs, good I'll lights. I'll always call attention to those wigs. Oh, you know who would have been great in this show is Carolee Carmelo. <laughs> oh, where was she? <laughs> Carmelo Crass. Oh. Oh, um, let's quickly discuss lighting. Yeah. I like the lights. Me too. I thought there was a lot of rad light stuff. Yeah. Good so lights. Good, good job, job, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, out of 10. Uh, I'm going to put them all together. I think yep. that's, I think that's a, fair. an okay bet. In theory, it's like an eight. Yep. But I'm feeling a little weird about the use of the ship. So yeah. maybe I'll like knock it down to seven. I, I feel very good about that. Just design element for design element. Mm -hmm. Excellent work. Eight, yeah. maybe even um, nine at some points. Right. But a design still has to serve the piece as a whole. Totally. And I'm not convinced that this does in every case. So seven, maybe even six for me, because I wanted more of the ship. Okay. Just, I want more. It's yep. so good. You, you spend love so ships. much money using yeah. it. Let's go <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about performance. I know we've been itching to we've like, been, discuss yep, absolutely. this, and I'm Kay. so excited. Okay, I will just start by quickly listing the bios of all 37 actors in this show, <laughs> okay, and on. also the four swings. Yep. If you couldn't tell, that's a huge number of cast members, everyone. Yep. For the, for the mid-2000s especially, yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, this uh, trickles into context, but this is when we're starting to see everything getting scaled back pretty extensively. Because yeah. what's its main competitor on the Broadway stage right now? Spring Awakening. Spring Awakening, <laughs> yeah. So these performances. Yeah. Obviously, we both love Stephanie J. Block. Deep. Hardly a hot take. I mean, for God's sake. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, would I would actually be interested to find people who would disagree with it with us yeah, on this because absolutely. she to me really carries this show 
As well she should. That's the whole point. Yeah. She's I mean, the pirate queen. She's the pirate queen. And she delivers 100%. This is, in a perfect world where this show was more successful, this is the women's version of Jean Valjean. Oh, yeah. As far absolutely. as dream weight roles to carry. Yeah. Ben Brantley thought that when she sang quietly and in a more controlled way, he preferred that to when she got screlty. But I want it all. I don't care. Give me, like, all of that. It's an incredible sound. Yeah. I love it. It's not effortless. No. But the effort's going in the right way. Exactly. Yeah. That's such a good point. Whereas, like, when we talk about <laughs> bringing her back, Carolee Carmelo, yes. how she digs in, it sounds safe but still emotional. Yeah. That's not Stephanie J. Block's thing. No. no. It's, like, the other end where it's a complete release. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like... Is that healthy? But we know it is because she that's what she does, right? Yeah. And I like it. I love it. That's what we pay the big bucks for. Someone Absolutely. who's like teetering on the edge. Yep. <laughs> they must have uh, wiped their brows when they found Stephanie yeah. J. Block. Like, thank God we've yeah. got um we've got this person leading the leading the ship. So Absolutely. To speak. Yeah. Hadley Frazier? Hadley Frazier. Very accomplished English actor. I saw this. Singer. This is his only Broadway, right? His only Broadway. He works a ton in England. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Extensively, film, TV. Have you ever seen that? Seen that Phantom of the Opera at uh, Royal Albert Hall? No, but I would like to. It's it's real nice, and I'm not even a huge Phantom fan. Is he Raoul or is he's Raoul? He... Yeah. Okay, yeah, he'd be good. He's very good. Everyone's very good in that. It's it's really worth a watch. Uh, Hadley Frazier, yes. Yep. I love him vocally. Yeah, I agree. His acting is pretty good. Yep. I don't I, really have a lot bad to say about him. Neither do I. Um, like you say, there's maybe not outstanding, outstanding, but mm-hmm. also maybe that's just the um, the fault of the show and overcrowded exactly. and kind of loses his place. Yep. How did you like the Queen's right-hand man, Richard? Big Richard. Big dick energy. Big Richard. Or should I say the six-fingered man? The six, I know, right? 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 Like, yeah. at the wig, the costume, yeah. everything. I'm like, is that Christopher Guest? Like, I'm confused. Is he in this musical? I liked him a lot. Mm. So much so that I wanted, and this is interesting because we'll get to Linda Balgood in a second, who played the Queen, and mm-hmm. I, for all the challenges I have with the Queen being a character, mm-hmm. I like her performance. I would have rather the queen be in it a lot less and Big Richard be like the main villain. I love that idea. Yeah. I think he does a nice job. The ensemble. Let's talk about the ensemble. Oh, once again, lots to love. I know. What is there not to love here? I love a group of people singing loud together. It's my favorite. So we get that. They're all very accomplished singers. I was surprised this cast was so big. Mm. Did it seem small on stage? Yes, it did. I have a theory. Yep. Half of these people were probably just dancers, and then the other half were like the singing ensemble. Yep, dancers and so it, slash gymnasts. Exactly, and yep. so we never saw all of them on stage together, probably until the finale, like the bows and everything. Yep. So that's probably why it felt smaller than 37 plus four swings. I can dig that. They do, um, they do great work, though. Yeah. Um, oh, the queen, okay. Our apologies, Linda Balgord, you... You did a very nice job. You're also extremely accomplished. You are Good very job. accomplished. Yeah. We just don't like this character. No. It's not really your fault. It's fascinating because I would have. She's the only person in this show who received recognition. Correct. Right? Yeah. What you got a drama desk for this? Drama desk yeah. nomination. It fascinates me because it makes me wonder why. Like I wonder how through that whole show she's the one that stands out to you when Stephanie J. Block is essentially carrying this thing on her back. Like, I I have a hard time understanding, I guess, without being there. It's that weird queen thing. That weird Anyone who plays the queen. queen. Yeah, it's it's like the Shakespeare in love syndrome. 
that's it's oh, um that's Judy um Dame Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, there's okay. something about putting on that makeup and portraying that that resonates with some people in such a fundamental way. Yes. Because yeah. royalty in general, if you play royalty, you'll likely be nominated. Yeah. Is that an American thing, I wonder? Because their relationship to the monarchy is very different. Like, we have a Canadian context for this, whereas, like, Americans, I think, have this, like, this strange relationship with the monarchy. I don't know. I, I might wonder, be speculating. Or is it a generational but... thing? Oh, Because sure. I don't know about you, my... My mom's like kind of a um, Anglophile, and yeah. like a, uh, not as much as a lot of people, but a lot of people of that generation, of a, a few generations older than us, are very much Anglophiles. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, that's something to think about for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are we giving these performances? We couldn't find a friggin' bad thing to say, so nine. Yeah, nine. Yeah. Because the flaws, I don't think, fall to the performances. Yeah, and it would only be a 10 if it was like outstanding across the board. Stephanie J. Block's the only one for me who's like, this is outstanding work. Yes. But everyone is from, is very good. Yeah. So nine. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you there. So Tony's, because we've just gotten through, this happens surprisingly often. I didn't know what to expect when we started this podcast (laughs) of a show with consistently (laughs) high ranks. Yep. It's hard to find serious fault. A show with consistently high ranks that couldn't crack 100 performances in New York mm-hmm. and lost $16 million. Oh my gosh. What the hell happened? Cameron McIntosh happened because that year, yeah. so this year of eligibility was from, uh, I guess it would be May 2006 until uh, a- end of April 2007. So it just squeaked into this year of eligibility. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the other shows playing, so the big ticket, like we talked about, Spring Awakening. Could not be more different from this show in so many ways. And more different from pretty much anything we were seeing at that time. Absolutely. And so I think there was a contemporary feel to this um, old story that they, that was really like, it was just interesting. We hadn't seen it. We hadn't heard it. And so... I remember you you and I were both prime target audience for Spring Awakening at the time. And I was never as huge of a fan as some people, but there's still no question. It was like, this is something very special. So talk about a pendulum swing, my God. Absolutely. With Pirate Queen. So the other shows that were nominated that year, so Spring Awakening won. Yep. But the other shows that were nominated were Curtains, Grey Gardens, and Mary Poppins. Oh, that's so, so fascinating. So if you're wanting your big spectacle musical, I think Mary Poppins is why Pirate Queen is losing out on yeah. some of that audience. If you're like a fan of Broadway as an art form and you mm-hmm. want to see the star go and carry the show, want to see especially a woman go and yep. carry the show, why aren't you going to see Christine Abersole in Grey Gardens? Exactly. Just crush it? And honestly, I can even get behind Stephanie J. Block should have gotten a nomination. Oh, yeah. But Christine Abersole in Grey Gardens is outstanding. The other show that was playing at this time that yeah. was not nominated for Best Musical was Legally Blonde. That's bananas that it wasn't nominated because Legally Blonde is yeah. a really nice show. It's actually a great show. It's a great show. You know, we're going on a school trip to New York. We're going to go see Legally Blonde. We're not seeing Pirate Queen. That's boring. That's my dad's musical. Absolutely. We're 16 years old. We're going on a school trip. We're going to see Legally Blonde with the school. We're sneaking off to go see Spring Awakening. Yep. Pirate Queen's not even on our radar. Right. And whose radar is it on with Grey Gardens being this bizarre... (laughs) And I love Grey Gardens as a show. I love, love, love it. What uh, what else did we see this with? We saw this with... um... Oh, uh, Ragtime and Parade had a, a bit of a crossover where yes exactly so it's like that thing where ragtime was taking a lot of parades audience yeah 
um, even though they're not super the same as far mm-hmm. as content goes, as far as overreaching tourist expectations, they right. may as well be the same show. Yeah. So I think there's no question in my mind when it was here, when it hit Broadway, mm-hmm. has a lot to do with why it wasn't able to crack performance, yeah. crack 100. It's like the days of the 80s paparetta are behind us. Yep. And we're ready to move into this new contemporary yep. pop rock even style. With Spring Awakening or at the very least quirky chamber musical with Grey Gardens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So zero noms for okay, Pirate who, Queen. Who hosted that year? No one. No one. The MCs, like the, so there was no real host. Yeah. It was like anyone who was introducing was the host. So everyone hosted. Anyway, I'm sad she wasn't nominated, I think. And it is bananas that this show got shut out. I have trouble. That's. I do too, actually. I really uh, have a hard time with that. Even though I agree with a lot of those wins. Mm -hmm. Spring Awakening taking Best Musical, great. Uh, Christine Abersall taking Best Actress. Fantastic. Yeah. No, to not have any noms is very yeah. silly. It's surprising. Even th- sets, I'm like... Once again, take away the Les Mis context, which That's you right. should be doing for award shows. And there's no way this shouldn't be compared to curtains. I know. Come curtains on now. It's like, what even? <laughs> And David Hyde Pierce won four curtains. Well, sure, and that's not, no no shade, you know what <laughs> I, I mean? Know, but, but it just makes you think. This and Legally Blonde, too. It's a, Legally Blonde's a real nice show. Very interesting. Very fascinating. Should this be a musical? Yeah, yeah. Right? I think I'm okay oh, yeah, with that. It should. Absolutely, it should. I like it. I think, yeah. I think with, with some different choices in some ways, this could be actually a really entertaining show. Yep. We could... Um, take it off its pedestal a little bit. I think it's a little haughty, like it's a bit on a high horse. I think I if, if we, yeah. It could do that thing that they did with Parade after it was done its Broadway run. Yeah, where totally. They, the currently licensed version of Parade is stripped down and reworked and by all accounts, um, much more functional as a show. I love that. And once again, telling an important story and reworking it, taking it out of both of them, I would say, exist under this Les Mis shadow or this yeah. ragtime shadow or whatever the case, the very successful historical epic. And I think trying to remove it from that would be better. Let Les Mis be Les Mis. This is the same guys, but let them do a different story. I would love that. So is this a flop? Is this a secret bop? Or do we need to make this stop? I'm, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place I here. Know, and we've had this I conversation know. before where I believe it can be two of these things at the same time. And I yep. think Pirate Queen is a prime example of how it's both flop, yep. this production, but a total secret bop in terms yep. of what it could be. I receive what you're saying. I'm not as quite as convinced because I'm not sure, not, at least not without another rewrite of the score. That's true, yeah. I think there, there needs to be a little more work done and a few more emotion songs and a few less plot songs. Mm-hmm. So as it stands right now, I think this is a flop, but oh, it's so close to being Secret Bob. Yeah, I can taste like, it. Yeah, let's you know? make it a bop. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. I, was, I have to tell you, I am so happy that we did this show right yeah. now because we're all very busy people. We're very stressed in our lives. To say the least, and yeah. I And I felt so happy to be able to genuinely compliment a show that I didn't know about. I it, agree. it was like such a blessing to get to talk about it when we actually all kind of like it. <laughs> and, to, and to learn, just to learn about a new show. Yeah. The thing I love about this podcast in general is learning about a new show every two weeks. And of course it can be stressful at times where you think, did I do enough research? Did yeah. I look into this enough? But I feel like nothing beats an emotional reaction and it seems like we all kind of had positive ones. So 
Yay, pirate queen. I will say my biggest reaction, I just want to compliment whichever <laughs> person was like, let's get Stephanie J. Block in period clothing holding a sword. Yeah, right? Like, I'm just saying, like, <sighs> if, if the lesbians found out about this show, <laughs> they would be big it fans. never would have flopped. I was just going to say, like, oh, do I have a third crush now? <laughs> exactly. Like, we're going to talk, okay, we talked about Jonathan Taylor Thomas. In period Michael clothing. Michael Flatley. Ramin Karimloo. Yeah. Fourth crush. Yep. Yes. <laughs> So as we're wrapping up housekeeping, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring us back to our last episode, um, the um, oh, three yes. we, where we dissect, dissected three lesser-known Broadway Revive flops. Revive or Die. Revive mm-hmm. or Die. Um, I've had a few people reach out now, pointing out that there are many musicals that have had sequels. Are they mad that you said that you didn't know? They that, wanted how to. Many they wanted to be was? sure to point out <laughs> that there were many that I had forgotten. <laughs> Including a few that I'm embarrassed to have forgotten. Oh including, no, tell me. Um, the Best Little Whorehouse. Yes, which we are actually going to talk about on this about. pod eventually. And also, of course, Falsettos, which oh, is a sequel. Of course. Falsettos, the first, oh, yeah. ver- the first iteration of it, In Trousers, okay, was a flop. This is, that's tricky. And then the next yes. two parts became Falsettos, right. which was a mad success March of and the is falsetto. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Did we forget anything else? Would you like to correct us? Please, <laughs> let us know. It would be our pleasure to engage with that. What other sequels did we miss? Yeah. I'd also like to thank a friend of the podcast, Elliot Lazar, for reaching out to let us know that if we ever need any librettos or scores for any of the musicals on our list, he actually owns stuff from Dude and yes. Bring Back Birdie. Does he actually? Uh, yeah. Nothing from Big Borrow or Steal. That one is still that under lock and key in the Library yeah. of Congress. Library of Congress. We are going to yeah. be hosting, um, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you'll be the first to know about our National Treasure style heist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. But thank you to friend of the podcast, Elliot Lazar, yes. for that. Yes. The other thing I want to say, and Paul, remember when I texted you about doing a great big C musical and how it was like hit or miss because I didn't know if you would be like one of the people that loves great big C or hates because I, I really don't think there's a ton of middle ground there. No. And I um, love them. I've seen them three times live. And I'm yeah. so glad. But I wonder if the Grania O'Malley story might be a wonderful um, vehicle for As a great big the C music of great ju- big C. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, oh, I wasn't sure so story-wise if that makes sense but I actually think it would be pretty it totally amazing. makes sense like as uh as Grania is heading off to jail like they just start, we just start hearing like how do we get from saying I love you <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> anyway so maybe this is our uh project once we're wrapped with everything else we're doing <laughs> oh thank you all so much thank you all so much Join us next week. Oh my god! I'm gosh. very excited when we're going to talk about an incredibly fascinating piece of Broadway history, mm-hmm. um, the Scottsboro Boys, with a really cool guest, a dear friend of mine. Um, Jill doesn't know him yet, but I'm very confident they're going to be very fast friends because he's just I incredible. Cannot wait to get Hal to know Rogers him. is going to join us. He has he's a very cool performer and composer, and he has a lot of really fascinating thoughts on this piece. I can't wait for y'all to tune in. Join us next time. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. 
You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theater podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening, and join us next week where we take on the Scottsboro Boys.